Why go to all the trouble of experiencing the great outdoors for yourself when you can listen to a few Northwest Outdoor experts yap about it? This is the Outdoor Line with Tom Nelson, Rob Ensley, and Joey Pyburn on Seattle Sports Station and at seattlesports.com. The Outdoor Line is brought to you by Yamaha, Sportco Outdoor Emporium, Weldcraft and Duckworth Boats, Roy Robinson RV, Kitsap Marina, Harbor Marine, Rain Marine Electronics, and Les Schwab Tires. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Outdoor Line. Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app streaming live on MyNorthwest.com. Don't forget about the venerable TheOutdoorLine.com with podcasts, blogs, and so very, very much more. Good morning, Joey Pyburn. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Rob Ensley. Good morning, guys. You're sounding good. Craig, Alaska. A little, mm-hmm. the, the remote protocol continues. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. Yeah, doing fantastic. You guys sound good down there. Sounds like you had a, a week of wild weather down that way, as we have up here I've, I've talked to some folks the last few days they said the fishing's like kokanee fishing go out one day and get you know three four or five limits next day like okay where'd they go <laughs> yeah i I, the- uh, I saw in the the northwest outdoor report uh you talked to brianna and she said the fishing has been schizophrenic and that's a yeah, perfect- the weather the weather's been schizophrenic well, and the, with the, the- <laughs> and it's it's making the fishing oh the same. Yeah. you know those kokanee are on the bite then they're off mm-hmm. the bite the next day and the, kind of the same thing on the east side. The wall I've been mm-hmm. kind of on and off. So, and that's all weather. The, the weather's been yeah. adhering to a strict uh, snowpack preservation protocol yeah, this year. Yeah, good. It, I mean, I tell you what, I, I do not remember a first week of May where we didn't see 60 degrees, okay? And the weather looked more like southeast Alaska, those low clouds and drizzly stuff, yeah. which I don't mind at all, okay? But then I'm bent. You know, mm-hmm. and and this time next week we'll be uh, we'll be coming at you um, on our a series of remote shows from from Sitka as well. And uh, you know, I'm excited to get up there, Robbo. It sure sounds like there's a whole pile of Chinook around just up and down the coast. What do you, what what's what are you hearing from up there? Oh, for sure, yeah, Sitka, Craig, down in the Queen Charlotte's. Uh, Northern BC. There's there's definitely some kings strung out down the pipeline. You guys shouldn't have any problem. Finding kings when you get up. Yeah, that's that's definitely what we're hoping for. But uh, so in the meantime, though, there's a whole pile of, of opportunities, eastern Washington, western Washington. Mm-hmm. We haven't had our central Washington correspondent, Jason Carmel Macchiato Brooks, on for quite a while. So we're going to plug him in the middle of this hour. He's going to give us a rundown on, uh, you know, some central Washington kokanee and trout ops. And and there, and there's still uh, there's still some turkeys clucking around uh, that neck yeah. of the woods, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, as we get into kind of like the middle of the season for turkey. Tactics kind of change a little bit. A lot of the hens now are sitting on the nest. Those toms are, they can be pretty active because all the hens disappear and they're still kind of looking for love. So uh, Jason will maybe tune us up on some uh, mid, mid-season mid turkey tactics. And if you want to talk about some post-graduate uh, special permit application operations, mm-hmm. that's what Jason's all about, man. Yeah. He, he puts in for applications to get applications and then put in <laughs> applications, right? And but well, he and, he and the boys draw tags all over everywhere. the place every year. Yeah, yeah. There's lots cool. of opportunity to draw draw tags. You know, if you just do what what guys like I I do, I I build points looking for that big, yeah. you know, quality hunt. But man, there's so many other opportunities for antlerless and second deer and you know all kinds of stuff. So and especially for the kiddos. Start putting those kiddos in when they're still in diapers. That's and it. Building those points. That's yeah, it. build some points up. So he's going to jump on at six twenty-five. Jason Brook, seven o'clock. Who's this guy, Nelly? Sam, Sam Hewer. He's a. Is he a fishing guy? So What's his deal? This may be 
the ultimate event in Western Washington before <laughs> or after it, it pulls together Husky football and Chinook fishing and Marine Area 9. All yeah. The ultimate it. event for yep. Nelly. The ultimate event for you, oh. possibly. But oh. but Sam Hewitt, okay. Husky quarterback, going to jump on 7 o'clock to talk about the inaugural Dog Derby out of the Port of Everett July 16th. That's the opener, right, in Area so 9? So it actually opens. It opens on Thursday. The okay. So there's two days of pre-fishing. Two, yeah, two days of pre-fishing, <laughs> and and then uh, and then the dog derby drops. Yeah. And we, so so college football now this, the face of college football has changed forever with NIL, which is which is name image likeness. And you're gonna start hearing more and more about that, and we're not gonna get into that part of it. But this is an opportunity if you love Husky football or even like football, you can jump into this event. You're gonna jump onto huskyfootballnil.com. That's Husky Football nil.com hit events you're going to scroll down to the dog derby and sign up you're going to get um hopefully three of your buddies and you're going to get a couple of university of washington current uw players on board your boat and, and go fishing it's it's going to be a great time it goes to a great cause i mean student athletes got the short end of the stick uh you know for on a lot of different stuff this is going to help not only recruit kids to the uw but also kind of keep the kids that are that are there in the program a little uh, and and it's a way it's cool because the football program's kind of reached out to the fishing community. Let's see if the fishing community will reach out back. So Sam Heward, uh, Damon's son, uh, Brock's nephew, obviously, is going to jump in, sub, top 7 o'clock hour, run us through the, the dog derby. I'm, I'm excited to see how many of these young uh, UW football players we flip. We've had pretty good uh, you know, football guys on yeah. the boat. We, we, what do you, you know, mean? We, I don't know what you're talking about. We got, we got Shane Palcoa. We flipped him, <laughs> turned him into a hardcore fishing nut. Uh, his brother Jeff, yeah. obviously your friend Kevin Gogan. So I'm excited to see. Uh, maybe maybe we end up with a, a new young deckhand who's on the boat with us more often than uh, than even Shane was. Who, yeah, that could be. Year. So I, and, and in talking to Sam yesterday, a bunch of a bunch of the kids from the team are excited about coming out. And do we have to buy gear and all this kind of stuff? Which are all the right questions. <laughs> yeah, Those are I just a, want to know who rolls the rod over and reels backwards. Yeah. That's, that's what I want to know, right? <laughs> Dude, so that would be the kicker. I would <laughs> that, probably do that. that. But it's uh, 7 o'clock, 725, Buzz Ramsey, uh, angling legend from the Pacific Northwest, going to jump on. Talk a little bit about Wind and Drano Springers, the dam counts. Have you guys seen the dam counts over Bonneville? They, the Looking Springers good, are man. steaming yeah. over Bonneville. 4,000 to like 7,500 a day going over the dam. Wind and Drano are going off. And so Buzz is going to jump on at uh, 620, or excuse me, 725. Talk about that a little bit, as well as the Snake River Dam removal or possible removal uh he's pushing hard to make that happen so well the whole snake river dam removal if, if there was anything that came out of the whole orca task for was driving the snake river dam situation a little bit more into public awareness when you look at the hydropower production of the four dams on the on the snake river we're talking roughly three three to three to four percent three to four percent right? okay yeah. this this is easily something that that they can they can generate somewhere else and in addition i mean these i hate to even really talk about this but the offshore wind farm nightmare is is supposed to you know take care of a whole lot of that be that as it may you you were starting to see traction now in the elwa from the glines canyon dam and 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 all the sediment deposition that that choked up some pristine spawning habitat on that coastal stream or excuse me peninsula stream for for quite some time if we get those lower four dams out of the Snake River, we're going to end up with a, with a natural spawning situation, almost like a second Hanford Reach on the Columbia. And not only will this manifest itself in increased Springer runs, 
but also in, in, in fall Chinook as well. And right now that's a very challenged portion of the run segment in the Columbia river right now to the point where for the first time in my memory, we've got buoy 10 selective the first three weeks of August. That's, that's, that's a bummer because yeah, there are bummer. so many nice, big, fat upriver brights that are swimming around with just disgustingly large adipose fins. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So it's, it, so, but, Buzz has been on the forefront of this for a long time. I spent some time on the phone with this. He's written an article that's going to pop out soon in Salmon Steelhead Journal. But when you look at the the total mortalities of, of out-migrant salmonids heading down the Columbia River, there's nothing that even comes close to what the dams do to these fish. And so getting them uh, getting them yeah, you know through these dams is, is yeah, going to be the best thing we can do. Certainly some benefit there for salmon. It's going to be extremely complicated, but maybe uh, Buzz can walk us through that a little bit. 725. Also, Lincoln opened this week in Puget Sound. And we were kind of thinking it was going to be a kind of a rough opener with the tides. But, man, people roped them in the San Juan Islands and down in central Puget Sound. Didn't hear much from South Sound because, of, you know, the Narrows is pretty rough on, on anything more than a soaker tide. But, man, up in the San Juan Islands in Possession Bar, it was really good. On the opener, Joe, you had some fantastic reports from the north end on the Ling, the Ling opener. Jeez, it, it was like everybody I talked to was like, oh, we we hooked 50, we hooked yeah. 80. I mean, tons of lingcod and a lot of subfish that are in that 20 to 25-inch range, which is, you know, I know it, it sucks to catch that many subs to get your legal fish, but listen, those fish next year, those fish grow really, really fast, so... Those fish are going to be legal fish next year. That is, and it, and it, from, from possession and the islands, we heard kind of the same thing. Yeah. A lot a, of really nice fish in that almost legal range. There's a heck yeah. of a big year class of lingcod coming through, yeah. which, which it, like you point out, it's, it's wonderful because, you know, you see this year class of fish recruiting in and, and it's, it's, it's fun, man. It's just kicking the pants and it's, and it's action for the guys too. And the thing of it is you, you talk about a fish that, is appropriate for a catch and release fishery, dude. You're not going to hurt a lingcod putting a hook in his mouth and yarding no. him up. No, they don't. They they have open swim bladders like a salmon. They can burp. You're not going. They're not going to suffer barotrauma. We don't fish them at depths that would inspire any type of barotrauma. I I ne- I don't I don't really remember ever releasing a lingcod and seeing a drop of blood. Unless it was from the it hitch, was, yeah, from my hand, your hand, my dude. No, they're they're built to catch they and release, really, yeah, right? They they yeah. certainly are. Yeah, certainly. Also, are. Uh, coastal halibut opener this week, Thursday, Saturday. Weather pretty squirrely off the coast. Folks went out, but it was it was big. Uh, 11, 11, 12 foot swell. A um, little bit of chop on it. Northwest winds. Uh, yeah, pretty snotty. For the opener off the coast here this week, but uh, if if we lose some of those days, they just bump them on to the end of the season. So um, that's going on. And that Eastern Strait too, Joe. You you guys have had some good luck over there in the Eastern Strait here this last week or two. I know your uncle's been out there roping some nice halibut um, over there out of Port Angeles somewhere. So yeah, that's yeah, going on. It's been really good out there. I mean, it's definitely worth going out and and uh, setting the pick and and sitting on one of those banks because there's fish around. Yeah, there's no question about it. All right, we got a bunch of other bunch of other stuff we get to. We haven't even talked about that Chinook opener on the Skagit, mm-hmm. and, and you know a couple other a couple other link techniques we definitely need to talk about. So tell you what, stick around. Give us 90 seconds. We get back. Let's uh, let's run down a couple other opportunities. And if you're not ready for the season yet, we're gonna get you ready. <laughs> so stay tuned. Right back here, 90 seconds on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710, and the Seattle Sports App. 
From the shining shores of Puget Sound to your radio, this is the Outdoor Line on Seattle Sports Station. Welcome back to the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710, Seattle Sports app. That's Joey Pyburn, Matt Nelson running the board, Rob Ensley coming at us from Pillow Fort, Alaska, of course, yes. And uh, Tom Nelson here. Thanks thanks for tuning in this morning. First full weekend of May. It's o- opening day of boating season. Boating so, season. So all you yachties out there manning the rail on the Montlake Cut, <laughs> waiting for the Windermere Cup. God bless you. And pour another co- – what do they drink? Do they, they drink uh, Cosmopolitans? I don't know. No, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I, I've know. never been invited on a yacht. No. I haven't either. <laughs> and I will say this, though. The last time I drove the fireboat through there, we shot water on both sides and make them, made them all mad. It, you know, that, was, that was a letter to <laughs> the mayor. Of course you did. Of course we did. So um, did. I tell you what didn't make a lot of guys mad was some of the size of the Ling Cod they got last weekend. They, 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 those those Lings, some of those were definitely stocking up on the Ling Twinkies, man. Oh, man. I saw a 35-incher from Connor Martinez from yeah. John Sporting Goods there. And they, they had a 35, a 32, and a 29 um, I saw a lot of oversized fish, you know, uh, man, the lingcod fishing is, is so were guys good fishing, this year. Were they fishing live bait, Joe, or no. were guys jigging or what were they doing? No, they're running swim baits and, oh, and kind of okay. the key to what they were doing was, you know, everybody thinks you drop your swim bait or your jig down there and you jig it up and down. And this was dropping it down, hit the bottom, crank it up a few feet and just let that sucker swim in the current. And, uh, mm. and they were outfit. I knew some other guys who were within eyesight of, of John and, and our mm-hmm. buddy Chris Sherwood, and, uh, and they were not catching as many, hmm. uh, and they were fishing the same drift. So it was a technique thing, were definitely. They, was this an Area 7 program? Yes. This, okay, yeah. Yep. I mean, that's and, – and it's – to me – the lings are more aggressive in the San Juans than they are, you know, in lower Puget Sound or, or northern Puget Sound. Does that make sense? I, I, yeah, and that's why I think most of the guys out on the the possession bar are using live bait, yes. just because it takes a little bit more to get those fish to go. Yeah, I think so too. So, yeah, no question about it. So, what what do you what did you hear from the schedule at all on that on that opener that we? There got? were a few fish caught. Um, you know, guys anchored up, running. You know, different types of plugs. Sure. Um, you know, it sounded like there were a few fish caught, but it's just kind of get going. I think, yeah. I don't know, I looked early last week and there were like 14 fish up at the hatchery. So they're starting to trickle through. Uh, I think there's been some nets in the lower river and those are probably about to come out. And then we should see a few more fish for those guys. Schedule River Springers are yummy. Yeah. I do not have a problem with those at all. So um, w- one of the things that, that you and I, you know, we're, we, we've got a little, we've got a little 16 foot smoker craft. Yeah. And we've, you know, I, I know the bearings. Like what, we need another boat. Well, I know, but, I know. but here's the deal. It's when, when you haven't used a trailer for a while, you need to go through all the stuff. And if you think that you're going to get everything done on, you know, the weekend before the 4th of July and, you know, get, cause that's, I mean, we got a lot of stuff coming up here, gang. We got area 10 is going to open up here shortly for the resident coho fishery. You know, then, then before you know it, we're going to have crab season open on, on July 1st. The got a shrimp season coming up. Shrimp season is going to come up in May. Shortly after that shrimp season in May, the Skykomish is going to open up. And so look, the only way you're going to get to all these fisheries is making sure that boat trailer of yours is dialed in, okay? Now, the most catastrophic thing that can happen on a boat trailer is have the bearings go. We see it every year. Those guys stuck on the side of the road, you know, and more and more, we have to travel to these fisheries. That's right. You got to make sure that your your boat and your trailer are in tip-top shape. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting on the side of the road trying to change your bearings or calling Les Schwab to come out and help you. 
and and that's it too. If you, I would much rather have a flat than 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 a than a bearing job because I I've been the guy and Robbo was waiting for me one time with mm-hmm. with our friend Jay Field waiting in Anacortes. Oh, where's Anacortes? Where's Nelly? Yeah. Where's Nelly? I that look, was a full on fireball out the side of your your trailer. I mean, you it was you had dark. All kinds of stuff going on. I was then, I was northbound on I five. Yeah. It was pitch black dark, and I noticed something out my driver's. You know, my passenger side window or passenger side a warm glow, dude. It was sparks full on. (laughs) Here we go, bearing meltdown, dude. You're done. Yeah, you're done. You're done. Well, I know with my jet boat and with the, you know, we've got an ATV trailer. I carry an extra hub. Yep. Uh, Not only a spare tire, but an extra hub, a set of bearings, everything in there. Because you never know, you're gonna, you might blow the whole works out, you know, and have to do a major repair on the side of the road. And you could be in the middle of nowhere. Most of us outdoorsmen are in the middle of nowhere when we do this. So. You got to be ready. You um, do, you do, and that's to pack that stuff around. But you got to have it. So that's so. that's why within the past year, I've had my my big boat trailer to Les Schwab had all the tires you know replaced. Right, um, they will also do bearings, but they it's not not every Les Schwab will. So uh, so we been we took the trailer to Bickford, right, and and got that thing all taken care of. But I, Rob, I love your extra bearing program, extra hub program, because that. It's no fun doing work, trailer work, on the side of the road. Right? Well, and it's even more uh, of a pain in the butt if you don't have the stuff to fix it. And and like Rob said, a lot of times we're in the middle of nowhere. We were very lucky, Rob, when we were headed to Montana mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, and and we ended up blowing a bearing on the side of the road and limped into Les Schwab <laughs> and dumped yeah. the trailer. In Nampa, Idaho. Yeah. I mean, and those guys were all hunters. We rolled right in and, and with, you know, Sitka gear and all kinds of stuff on, and they scrambled the jets, man. Guys were running all over the place and excited to greet us and happy that we were there coming hunting over in Idaho. And they took great care of us, but we blew the whole works out of the side of that, that axle, man. Yeah. Um, that was a bad deal. So anyway, this couple of tips there. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of extra stuff to pack around with you, but um if you can, pick up an extra hub, um, stuff it in there and put it in a, in a bag or something and bring a grease gun. You know, always yep. have a grease gun in there with some bearing grease and, so and some marine grease in it. The, the way I like to approach that, Robbo, is, is, is go into a Home Depot or a Lowe's hardware, get one of those big tool bags. And that's where your extra hub goes in with a star wrench and everything you need, and it's just that kit for that specific purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, you can throw you can throw an extra jack in there and a bunch of other stuff, but those big heavy duty tool bags, they're made to pack a bunch of weight. Who cares what happens to the inside of them? But then you know what you got at that point because organization is it, it's going to happen to you. It's going to happen. It's just your preparation for this depend it is is. That's what's going to determine how long you spend on the side of the road, man. It's a dangerous, uncomfortable, and and a situation that nobody wants to deal with. So deal with it head on. Back right? when I was trailering my commercial boat, um, I always had two hubs. I had extra bearings, all the stuff. I was like a NASCAR, like <laughs> you know, repair team. I I would blow a bearing, pull over, jump out. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> done deal back on the road and and it happened all the time you know once see, kind of seems like once it starts to happen yeah sometimes you know your hub is still okay and you can get away with it but it's never the same and it's eventually not, you gotta you gotta not. swap them out well and, i remember nelly and i going to montana with right. that atv trailer yep. with the little tiny wheels on it <laughs> uh one year we blew five tires going over there and coming back 
and uh, finally learned our lead. We got rid of that trailer. We just yeah. had a little bit too much weight on it. But, well, uh, but we got stuck all over the place over there. We had, I think we came home with like three extra set of tires that, you know, more than we, what we... We learned where every six Robles was between <laughs> between here and Montana. Because, well, you think you know, about we it... hitting Les Schwab nonstop all the way over there. That's true, too. And, 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 and the thing of it is, those smaller trailer tires think about it man you got it's 15 16 inch wheels on your pickup and you're, and you're towing this trailer and if you got small little tires on your trailer they're going around two or three times every one yeah. time yeah. anyway so bottom yeah. line is yeah. get yourself dialed in uh also we got that big bass tournament coming up over on the east oh, side yeah. i think that's next weekend registration is open for that fifty thousand dollars on the line and a and a bass boat too a skeeter bass boat yamaha powered skeeter bass boat uh worth fifty three thousand dollars so if folks are interested in that, uh, jump on nwbass.com and get signed up for that event. I think it's next Saturday. Um, definitely, I think it's it, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, bass tournament to ever roll through the Pacific Northwest. This is the third or fourth year of it, and uh, pretty cool setup. And those those bass on Potholes, on Potholes Reservoir, boy, we've got some decent weather coming up this next week. It could be a topwater show. You know, they get back in the dunes there, and some of those, those topwater – programs back in the dunes on the beaver huts can just be spectacular this time of year in may well and we had willie nelson really on the can. show last week that uh i mean they're giving away a fifty thousand dollar yamaha skeeter package yeah you know i mean really, that's but... that that's worth spinning the wheels yeah. and going bass fishing for, for and sure. then the walleye thing over there too i talked to shelby ross a couple days ago it's going great too the walleye are out of the spawn on potholes they're back in the lake and they are they're chomping at the bit to eat yeah, I checked in with Austin Mosier too. He's been fishing Moses, same thing. He's it's a trolling yeah. program there, but he said that the fishing's been great. All right, it's first week of May. You got two weeks to get your special permit applications in and more. Jason Brooks going to jump in, talk a little Central Washington Kokanee, talk a little uh, talk talk a little turkey, maybe you know, and a lot more. Stay tuned. Jason Brooks joining us next here on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Seven Ten, and the Seattle Sports App. Welcome to the BOMAC Tech Line. BOMAC has all the gear for all your techniques, and SMI shellfish gear is simply the best. BOMAC, we catch big fish. Well, we can only carry so much of the information on this show, Joey. You know, I mean, sometimes we got to go to a specialized Central Washington correspondent, and that would be none other than Jason Carmel Macchiato Brooks. Good morning. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, morning, Jason. How you doing, man? Been a while. Hey, Robbo. Good. Yeah, been a while. Good morning. What's going on out there, dude? We got kokanee trout, a little turkey hunting. We're putting in for for special hunts for next fall. Run, run us through everything, buddy. Yeah, and you know what's funny is, is with, with all that going on, even this morning, and, and I, I we do a little pre-show stuff. I talked to Nelly yesterday and Joey the other day, but then I jumped on the computer. And do you guys realize that in the beginning of May last week, in the first three days of May, over twenty-seven thousand springers have already crossed Bonneville Dam. Yeah, I know so, the dam counts with everything are crazy else going this week. on. It's like it's it's almost back. It's back in the nineties again. What's going on? I don't know. It's, yeah. it's weird. Well, we had a day we'll take a, a few days ago. Seventy-five hundred of them went over the dam, man, and it's it's been they've been averaging you know four thousand to seventy-five hundred a day across from Bonneville. It's I'm looking really you, good. It's going to be good. a good year. Well, yeah. I'm telling you. May May third on May third on May third. I have it right here one thousand three hundred. 
uh, I'm sorry, 13,496. Boy, really misspoke. Yeah. 13,000 went over in one day. Like I said, yeah. it was back, yeah. like back I think it was 2000 or 2001 when we had 26,000 go over in one day. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy stuff going on. It's snowing in, in April. It's, <laughs> it's 70 degrees in March. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> so how do we, I mean, it's been, it's still chilly. I mean, how do we attack these kokanee and trout in the lakes? I've been, I've been talking to folks all week off and on up here in Alaska and, and, and uh, whatnot that are down that way trying to catch kokanee. And they're like, yeah, one day we go out and just rope them. And then these weird storm cells come through, and God, we're lucky to get a handful the next day. How do you attack these these trout and kokanee in these cold lakes, buddy? Well, that, you know that's just it. And the other thing you know, on this with his with his degree there in, in the fisheries is you know lakes are turning over, and normally this happens in March and in April. But then we get these hot days and these cold days and these hot days and these cold days, and that thermocline just fluctuates. And then you got barometric pressures going on. But with kokanee, one of the big things that people tend to forget about is sunlight. They're real sensitive to sunlight. So when you have these bright, sunny days, they'll go deeper. And when you have the, the cloudy days, they'll come up a little bit. So where you found them yesterday, you might not be where you find them today in, in water depth-wise. And so you really got to pay attention to the sonar uh, for several different reasons. Again, that thermocline. Um, but then also with the sunshine of, of – and they'll move throughout the day. I mean, with the sun now getting higher in the sky, you know, noon, it, it, mid-afternoon – they, they'll they'll be deeper, and then morning and evening they'll they'll be shallower. And if you notice, the guys who are doing really good on kokanee are usually the first light bite type people. They want to be there early in the day, get on the water. One, the thermals aren't kicking in yet regarding the afternoon winds, like we're starting to get now. You know, in the summertime, it's almost consistent. Every afternoon, you're going to get a chop on the water because of the, the wind kicking up. That can vary your speeds which is a whole nother aspect of kokanee fishing. So if you're trolling at 1.2 miles an hour and a breeze kicks up and all of a sudden you're at 1.4, you're going to, you're, you might be going too fast. You know, there's so many different variables. You just got to go out and really be detailed and key in on what you caught the fish with and then try and mimic that the next day and find the fish. If that makes And you any talk sense. about what you cut the fish with. You talk to a kokanee fisherman, you, you know, any kokanee fisherman, they're all using different stuff. You got their twinkle blades and their zippy digger little flies and their this thing and that <laughs> scent and the shoe peg corn. And some aren't using shoe peg corn. Some are using tuna. Some aren't. What, what's your program drill? What's your, your kokanee program, uh, buddy, when you hit the lake, man? So I, I always have an old school. I still, because we come for years on, you know, the leaded line and the, and the gang trolls and those kinds of things. But I, I've upgraded a little bit, obviously. I go to the Max Allure flashlights because they're mylar blade and they're lightweight. I, I can adjust my depth by using different weights or even, you know, your downriggers. Um, and then I go to the double whammy or the derby winner um, or the old school wedding ring. The double whammy is a wedding ring with, with two hooks, which is nice. And then, of course, a piece of, of uh, choupé corn. Uh, I like to soak mine overnight in Pro-Cure's Bloody Tuna. And then um, uh, a worm, you know, a nightcrawler. Go out and, and pound the ground before the, before the sun comes up and get the flashlight out and find the big nightcrawlers and, and take half that nightcrawler and put it on there. I always have at least one of those going. Um, and then I'll have the Dodger and the squidder set up. With, again, the Derby winner, the um, a couple of different little squids that they have out, the cha-cha squid from Max. Um, smaller, smaller uh, uh, Dodgers. Max came out last year with the 5.8, which I think is almost absolutely perfect. The 4-inch is sometimes a little small, and then your 8-inch is a little bit too big. The 5.8 is, is a great, great dodger to be out there. Um, and then the short leaders, they're, they're a sock guy. A lot of people put way too long the leaders on. You know, like when we're fishing for the sock guy in the Brewster pool, we're using 9-inch leaders 
I will go a short, short leader for Kokanee and, and get that thing really whipped around back out there. Um, that's my go-to. Uh, you know, heavy scented. I, I run that Procure Bloody Tuna all over that Dodger as well to get that scent going. But that's those are my go-to ones. And, and when it comes to the Kokanee, I think um, you mentioned speed and leader length. So I was out on Lake Stevens last weekend with uh, with my buddy Nick Pulley, uh, dragging some Kokanee gear around. We weren't getting bit. We you know we jump on the phone, start working the network, calling guys. They said, "What what's your speed? We're doing one to one two. They said, speed up to 1.5. We sped up to 1.5. We shortened our leaders. We started getting bit. So guys yeah. got to remember that. With Kokanee, it's very it's speed and leader length. Uh, not so much what's back there. You know, if you're running the, the little Kokanee flies or the, or the wedding rings, shoe peg corn, it's more about your leader length and your speed, I think, than what's on the, you know, what's on the end of your line. And we've... And we found that exactly. We found that again. You know, they are the cousin to the sockeye. You know, they, well, they are a sockeye's landlocked. The point being is, is like it's a Brewster pool to be that example. You can go out there with bare red hooks. You can go out there with a the red hooch. You can go out there with uh, you know some some red tinsel tied onto a hook. But it's that if you don't have, if you have more than a nine inch leader and you are trolling there like one point seven, you aren't going to catch fish. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's a matter of of getting them to strike. Which means, you know, whatever that combination is, I, I, you know, if you look on the sonar, I mean, Robbo's got some awesome videos on, on Coho out in the ocean and stuff on, on his Instagram. You go there and you see those fish, they come up behind that thing and they, they follow it for a while. They follow, well, they're, they're salmon, you know, uh, coconut or salmon, they'll come up, they'll follow it for a while. And it's like, why aren't they biting? Why aren't they biting? And, and all of a sudden you do that, you know, the, this leader length change, the, the speed change a little bit, and that's what triggers them to go from following to biting. You're absolutely right. Or make right. some turns. You might even make a turn mid-swing. Yep. If they're following, they might chase that Absolutely. outside one that just sped up or the inside one. That, yeah. That'll give you a little key on Yeah, that'll on give you a little tip on whether you need to speed up or slow down. If you if you make that hard inside turn and that inside rod that is slowing down, your gear's starting to drop, they bite that, then you want to slow down. If they're biting the outside yep. and you're on the bend, speed it up, get cranked up, and, and move that speed around, up and down. Outdoor writer exactly. Jason Brooks joining us this morning. Okay, Jason, we've made these guys talk about kokanee fishing. Okay, let's 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 <laughs> let's move back into hunting just a little bit here. And and so one of the things with this cold spring is guys do not have every place available to them to go turkey hunting right now. Well, there's there's still snow in some of those higher elevations, and that's truncating where some of these birds are going to be challenging some guys, especially on the opener, man. There was guys walking through snow on the on the turkey opener. Not, not They're so- having to wear white camo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So more coyotes than turkey. Yeah, there you go. So so what's what's going down? How does this how does this uh, cool weather pattern affect the guys out there trying to get their toms? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. It's it's one of those anomalies where you're going to have to almost learn the game over again. For the opener, I actually went to Idaho with my son, and it was beautiful over there. I was looking at the weather reports back home over in the Chelan area, and it was it was like a 10-degree difference, which isn't thing like much, but in the springtime it is. When when our highs were in the, the upper 40s and their highs were in the, the upper 30s, um, that's huge. And we were into birds all day, every day. I mean, we encountered over 20 birds in one day over there one time. They're dragging toms, not talking just clocks of birds. We're talking actually calling and scratching and getting in the gobble back S and respond. 
but then I took my buddies back home and it's like, they're getting, it's nothing. It's nothing. Well, then the following week I went to one of my hot spots over in Eastern Washington and I, I get out of the truck. It's 20 degrees out. I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, no worries. And we're going along and, and nothing and nothing and nothing. And uh, throughout the day, it got up to the upper thirties again, maybe, maybe in the low forties and, and nothing. They just, they just shut right down. So good news, bad news. Now that we're getting halfway into the season or close to halfway in the season here, um, because it was slow in the uptick, meaning that there should be more hens out there that haven't started nesting yet, um, you should have some really active gobbler activity. You should still be getting them to gobble, hopefully throughout the middle of the day. But the biggest thing, of course, is still finding the roost trees, and they're hungry. When it's cold out, like any other animal, they're going to be hungry. Um, now it's starting to finally warm up. So we're kind of get more back into the normal swing of things when it comes to the breeding. I mean, they're, they're birds. They're done by light, but also, you know, you can't really have a nest full of six inches of snow either. So it's, it's one of those really weird things where... If you can intercept the birds, it's always a go-to tactic. If for some reason they start shutting down, but you know where the roost trees are, you know where the feeding areas are, and you can get set up to intercept them coming to and from, regardless if they're they're breeding or not, you're gonna you're gonna get birds. Now well, it's gonna be a matter of. Go ahead, go ahead, Joy. Well, and then now you just turned your turkey hunt into a, a deer a deer hunt or an elk hunt, <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah. and guys talk about that once they once you can't get those birds to come to the call. But you know they're there, like you said, Jason, you know where that roost tree is, you know where they're going to feed. Get back, use your binoculars, find those birds, and then turkeys are pretty easy to get in front of. You know, if you if they're moving yeah. from feeding to their roost, you just get in front of them and, and you get in their path and they'll walk right to you. But that's the key, Joey. So you see, the thing is, is people don't realize that, like you said, you treat them more like, like a big game hunt. But what happens with deer and elk a lot of times? People chase after the animal, right? You just hit the nail on the head. You have to get in front of them. You have to you have to intercept the bird, and you have to get set up and be very still because they got great eyesight. If you try and catch up to a turkey, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> but if you get out and you go, okay, I see them. They're kind of heading down this ridge line. They're going down towards this or that, and you can get around the, the point and get in front of them. Like you said, they'll walk right to you. As long as you stay still, they'll walk right to you. Hey, hey you Jason, if we've got to intercept them. If we know you, you are all over the special hunt uh, process going on right now. The application <laughs> period's open through May 19th. Uh, seeing any changes this year? Anything new coming up? Anything exciting or anything? Any any big letdowns too that 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 uh, hunters might might see next fall? What are you seeing, buddy? Well, yeah. I mean, if you open up the elk page, you, you look at the bull tags. It's it's. Yeah. I hate to use the word a joke, but it's it's a joke. Um, but the thing is, is, is Idaho all just opened up on May first as well. So I'm looking at their uh, draws versus Washington draws, and you're right. I'm already all over. In fact, I've already put in for myself and my son. Um, in Washington, the thing that people need to remember about Washington special permits are they are not a tag. You know, in Idaho, when you draw a special permit or a special hunt, it's an actual tag. Your tag is good for that unit, that hunt only. The benefit, the one benefit that Washington has over Idaho, people think you're crazy for saying this, but the one benefit that Washington has over Idaho is it's not a tag. It's an additional opportunity. Your tag is still good for the general season, but now you also get to hunt this extra hunt. You get to have this extra time frame. You get more time in the woods. So if you start looking at it that way, it'll change your perspective on what hunts you put in for. A lot of these people put in for the big buck or the big bull tag, and they want this one unit. I want this one hunt. I've been putting it for 25 years. I've got 25 points. It's not fair. The guy with four points got drawn, and you get all mad. But then you look at this and go, okay, what other opportunities did you forego to put in for that hunt with 4,000 other people? 
oh, look, there's a, there's a hunt, you know, literally down the road with a muzzleloader that the odds are way better on, and you have an additional four or five days around Thanksgiving to go hunt this hunt, but you decide not to look at that because you're so stuck on this one area and one hunt. Look through the regs, look through, and redefine success. If your success means go out and kill a big buck or bull, hey, go for it. Good luck. I, I wish you all the power. Those animals are still there, by the way, during the general season. You just need to work a little harder for them. But if your definition of success is spending more time in the field, less people to compete with, and possibly filling the freezer, Washington has tons of opportunities. You just have to go out and look for them. And you almost have to reverse engineer the regulation pamphlet. You go in and yep. read when things open, when things close, to your point, Jason, when different weapons options are available and, and just that flexibility you mentioned, whether it's, you know, maybe you're a modern firearm guy, it's not that big of a transition to shift over to muzzleloader. Today you've got 209 primers. It's not like you're going out there with a flintlock, right? You have, you exactly. have, you have ignition systems that are closed to the weather and peep sights, dog on it. And some of those muzzleloaders can reach out a lot farther. And this ain't your dad's muzzle stuffer at all, right? Oh no. They're different. No. They're, they're, they're a great weapons choice and not a difficult transition if you're a modern firearm type of guy but you but jason it's your point is so well taken that, that we tend to get fixated i want this big bull in this unit at this time with it with my weapon of choice and just that flexibility opens up a whole nother realm of, of of options and possibilities to you plus the fact that you can put in for a few different hunts in a second third and fourth choice in a lot of different units go to wdfw.wa.gov go to the licensing page and start reading through some of these hunts and educate yourself. You have two more weeks before the the, the special permit hunt ap- application passes, and you have plenty of time to do this, but it's going to stand in your stead and give you a bigger opportunity this fall. There's also a bunch of websites out there you can use, like Go Hunt, yep. um, great resource. They're going to kind of help you. You can punch in what you're looking for, what you want to hunt, in what state, and it's going to give you a bunch of options. Yep, exactly. And again, redefine what your definition of success is. You know, going out and spending time with your family or your friends and just walking around the woods with nobody else out there with the opportunity to fill a freezer, to me, is way more important than getting than drawing that big buck tag and go, look what I killed. Well, yeah, you got off of a road because it's mid-November, you know. I mean, that that to me means way more than, than any inches on the wall or any anything like that. But that's my own personal take on things. But no. Washington does have some good opportunities still. So you are one of the most prolific outdoor writers that I've ever had the pleasure of making the acquaintance of. And, and what, what do you have coming out these days? Are you, you, uh, what's, what's, your, what's your next article coming out, Jason? Uh, well, I've got, I've got one coming out in the American Shooting Journal National Magazine on, on plinking to become a better shot. Basically, you know, with all the different, with the ammo shortage we have out there and the opportunities with 22 long rifle and even your pellet gun, how you can improve your, your becoming a shot, improve your accuracy, both in the hunting world and the competition or just a general uh, self-defense um, by plinking and, and different drills and things you can do in order to become a better shot that way and still save money on ammo and, and save your, your ammo for when you really need it. Um, and the same Still had journal. I've got an article coming out in Westport Salmon. It's going to be coming out next month um, regarding that fishery for the summertime. It's going to be a great fishery this year, especially the coho that they're talking about coming back. Um, Northwest Sportsman. I've got tributary springers. You know, I started off this this, uh, this show today or the segment today. We're talking about the springers. Um, that article highlights all the different tributaries that you can fish that come into the Columbia River that are actually still open that you can that have a good run this year, and then also ocean halibut. 
Uh, that's going to be coming up here this next month and going out there and catching some halibut and then some flat sides out in the ocean. So there's so, that. And then the real life with uh, no such <laughs> Now We you can know. take up the rest yeah. of the show figuring out what Jason's going to be writing about. No, kid, He's busy. Jason, thank you I'm for your time, you. buddy. We, out there. Yeah, and, and, and listen, dude, we need a blog on the outdoor line, too. So come on, let's get, let, let's get that spooled back up. Come on. You got it. This week I'll get a blog up and uh, we'll recap some of the stuff we hashed out. And good luck, guys. Rob, have fun in Alaska, buddy. Can't wait to talk oh. to you get back this fall. Oh, thank you, man. I'll try to check in from up here, man. It's always always great to hear your voice, buddy. All right. Have a great weekend, Sounds Jason. Good. Sounds good. See you, brother. Later, Jason. Right. Take care, guys. He's Jason Brooks. You can find his byline just about everywhere around uh, around the western United States. No question about it. All right. Pop out of here for a quick break. Come right back with Raymarine Picks of the Week right here in the Outdoor Line. Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Welcome to the Outdoor Line Picks of the Week, presented by Ray Marine Electronics. Don't just go fishing, go hunting underwater. Ray Marine, simply superior. The all-new Lighthouse 4 operating system with Ray Marine allows you to get down and get funky with those fish monkeys. So <laughs> go check that out at more at raymarine.com. So uh, Jason Brooks just <laughs> ran us through a whole bunch of opportunities. Well, with, and you uh, made the mistake of asking him what it, what he's writing about right now. My gosh. I gonna, swear he I'm locks gonna, himself in his office every night and just pounds out articles every night. The guy is so busy. I'm going to have to go back know? and re-listen to that because it's a lot of information to get <laughs> yeah. into my brain that quickly. Yeah. Um, so what's going on, Robbo? Lincod, man. Lincod. You know, I didn't think it was going to be that good. I, I was looking at the tides thinking, yeah, you know, it might be a tide change drill. But, man, guys just hammered the Lincod on the opener this week. Um, man, that, that was probably the best thing I saw going this week. Halibut-wise, I mean, the coast opened Thursday. Weather was kind of crappy off the coast, man. Big swell with chop on it. Um, Thursday, 11-foot swell with, like, you know, two to four feet of chop on mm-hmm. it. Like, ugh, yuck. Um, guys still went out halibut fishing, but it was it was rough off the coast. But the link cod thing in the sound, man, San Juan Islands were good. Uh, possession bar, even with all that current, you know, Nick Kester did well. Gary Krein, the guys drifting light bait across possession did well. And then the swim bait drill up in the up in the islands, super cool. And when you said the guys were catching that many link cod up there, I was like, no. there's no way they're running light bait. You just no, can't put up can't. those kind of numbers on no, light you bait. Just, no, it's, it's artificials, and they're, they're super aggressive yeah. up in the San Juans. Uh, we got a jam-packed hour, too. Uh, UW quarterback Sam Heward is going to jump in and talk about the all-new, the inaugural dog derby. Go check out huskyfootballnil.com. Of course, Buzz Ramsey going to talk about the win the Drano, an unbelievable numbers going over Bonneville right now, and the Snake River Dam issue. It's going to be something you're going to hear more and more about. So stay tuned. We've got a jam-packed hour or two heading your way right here on the Outdoor Line, Seattle Sports Station 710 and the Seattle Sports app.